The Executioners is a podcast about actually getting shit done. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Executioners, where we'll be speaking with Rachel Garrell, uh, the co-founder and current CEO of Nexus Global, a large and international organization that brings together philanthropists, impact investors, and social entrepreneurs and really gets things done in the real world. I have gone to their annual summit the past few years and have been involved in their blockchain working lab. Um, I've always really been inspired by the way that people in Nexus really do embody a community and help each other. Uh, there's a private Facebook group where people really actually meet up with each other in different cities and, and share resources in a way that uh, I think a lot of the groups just pay lip service to. Um, so I'm really looking forward to speaking with Rachel and understanding how she's built such a vibrant organization and um, what lessons we can learn from that. So thank you and hope you enjoy. All opinions expressed by Alexander Bloom or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of any other entity. We should not treat any opinion expressed by Alex as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, uh, everyone, welcome to this episode of The Executioners. Today, we're here with uh, Rachel Garrell, the co-founder of Nexus Global. Rachel, thanks so much for joining. Oh, I'm excited to be here. Honored to, that you thought of me. So I think just to kind of get started, it'd be great to hear, you know, Nexus Global's been around for a little while now. It'd be great to hear just kind of how it all started and, you know, all the things you could do to spend your time and efforts on in your life. Why is this what you're spending it on? That's such a great question. Um, yeah, we started Nexus back in 2011. There was three of us as co-founders. We each had different slices of experience that fit together really well. Um, from my perspective, I'd worked with a UN ambassador uh, for human rights, Nancy Rubin, for many, many years. And I'd seen the deep impact that the UN can have in terms of um, adding credibility to different causes uh, or initiatives, but also the slow moving pace that it can move at in trying to affect change on the ground. And equally, with some service trips I'd done, I was seeing how small amounts of money can make huge impacts. Um, in local communities all around the world. Three or $500 could make a difference for a year or two for a student or a school or a family. So I, I was really compelled to tell the next generation of great leaders, whether philanthropic leaders or business leaders or social impact leaders, that it doesn't have to be that you have all the money to give away today, but that if we could bring you together, your influence collectively and the decisions you make every day could, could add up to become more powerful than you could possibly imagine. And so starting in 2011, I'm sure that things haven't gone exactly as you plan. I know any like company or thing I've started, it never goes anywhere close to what I imagine. And so I'm curious just to hear kind of from what you initially envisioned to today, what has surprised you or um, you know, gone in a direction you didn't really expect? Good question. So we had no plan. Uh, we planned to host one event. We reserved a room at the UN, which is my chief skill at the time. And then <laughs> we'll master. Was, you know, since I, I was like, I know how to reserve a room. Um, <laughs> my co-founder cold called the Forbes 500 list. And he said, we're organizing a gathering for the next generation of the world's most influential families and young social change makers together to come with no affiliations and um, bringing their whole selves, not just where they work now. And to our surprise, 350 people showed up from almost 50 countries. Um, wow. Like I said, the UN cachet will help you with that. Right. Um, yeah. 
Well, yeah, I mean, if it was just coming out with Rachel and Jonah in hallways, people wouldn't have come. So it was pretty exciting. Um, and then we patted ourselves on the back and we thought we were done. And um, we couldn't believe how many people showed up. If we had died that day, we would have felt like we were so much more accomplished than what we expected to be. And at the end of the day, um, we had people, you know, royals fly in from uh, Europe and in, in the Middle East. We had chief families from indigenous communities. We had so many different people. And at the end of the day, they lined up and I thought they were lining up to thank us. And oh man, we're, we're naive. Um, they said, this is really great, but there aren't enough people from the Middle East or there aren't enough people from indigenous communities. Or there aren't enough from Africa. <laughs> right. right. And yeah. we thought, oh God, oh, you right. have comments about this free event. I see. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't do. Um, and they were all right. Every piece of feedback was right. But we had thought, you know, we're, we're not an organization. We were just a bunch of friends organizing something to um, to shift consciousness around uh, how our generation could make a change. And suddenly people were holding us to a different degree of uh, excellence. So we said, okay, you want this to come to Australia or Asia or Europe? Well, you're everyone we know. You know, we called everyone we knew. And this is the best of who we could get. So if there's not enough people from your region then either you've got to open your Rolodex and we'll host another event or um, we'll help you host an event in your region and we'll give you the blueprints of how we organized everything, the letters to reach out to head of state and established families, et cetera. And um, so we plan to do one event. We've now done 41 summits. (laughs) Overshot a little bit. Yeah. um, And and the idea is that we really had no blueprint. We were just uh, being responsive leaders. And in order to do that, the second summit we ever did was in London. Third was in Beijing. And that would never have happened if we'd had a a plan. Uh, We probably wouldn't have gotten to China yet, right? Um, Because I have a disability called I Only Speak English, which is really (laughs) sad. Uh, 2019. I'm like the only one left. Little kids are like speaking three languages on the street in New York looking at me like, who are you that only speaks one? Um, So we were only able to scale into Asia and and Africa and Latin America through leaders in our community who really took on the torch and said, this needs to happen in my community. So I would say, my God, I'm surprised every day by the impact we have. Yeah. It's interesting because especially if you're looking for like outside funding, typically people want this, you know, deck with, you know, business plan, next six month milestones, all this stuff. It's so rigid. Uh, It sounds like that's not the path you took at all. But I wonder, you know, if you didn't have kind of, the sort of rigid milestones is something to guide you, you know, what, how do you know if you're even going in the right direction or what decisions to make? Like, what are you listening to? If not, if not, you know, lines on a piece of paper. Very, very good. I mean, I think that trust is the most important thing. So in our community, we have um, two thirds young ultra high net worth uh, people and one third young social entrepreneurs with a proven track record of success. And we choose leaders for cities or countries or regions proven their success through hosting smaller events and then recruiting delegations to come to our large summits. And then, you know, really kind of the the resume they've built in their region to know what we should be talking about. So our Latin America summit focuses a lot on the Amazon and indigenous people, but the very different themes in Europe right now where we're talking about immigration and Brexit and um, the lack of jobs for the next generation. So we really listen really actively and and entirely put the trust in the regional leaders to make decisions about what is most relevant um, and who should be in the community in their countries and which families should be included and what topics. So I think that if we tried to do it, we would probably get it totally wrong. But by listening and trusting uh, local leaders, you end up with a community that feels like it's really uh, in tune with what's going on. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's the thing like I've uh, struggled with is like, I, you know, this is my company. I have this vision and everyone else is either messing it up or falling short of the way I can do it. But at the same time, there's, there's no possible way I can do anything by myself. And so I think you know, it's a real skill to be able to kind of let go of control and really, you know, I guess it's like if you can impart a certain culture or, uh, you know, vision to people and then in, imbue it inside of them that, you know, is much more like, quote unquote, scalable than Alex's opinion uh, all over the world, you know? Right, right. Yeah, I think I think there's something to that. I mean, we said on the first summit, there'd be no affiliations under name tags. We're not going to say, you know, who's the social entrepreneur and who's the investor. And we're going to have people ask the question, what's your passion and how can I help? And yeah setting that tone. And honestly, we didn't charge for our summits the first three years either. So setting the tone of really just wanting to find out how can we help. We're a community that's here to help you. And we're only as successful as you are. If you tell us your dreams, we can help them come true. If you're shy about sharing what they are, then we're not going to be able to help. Um, we flipped the narrative, I think, where people overwhelmingly said, I want to start you know, a group of people around this affinity interest, or I want to start a chapter in my city, or they really realized that it would help them if they stood up to lead um, and help their city or help their issue that they care about if it's human trafficking or if it's environment. Um, and so people saw Nexus as a tool towards their own social impact dreams. And it became much larger than anything we could have envisioned. Yeah. How many uh, members are there currently? About 6,000. 6,000. Unbelievable from all of our, I mean, also like, you know, as I'm part of Nexus, uh, you know, like the private Facebook group and stuff, like people really in a unique way, really do reach out and meet up with each other. There's a woman that's coming uh, out to where I live shortly that I'm like, yeah, I'm happy to meet someone from this community, which is not something I think you get like a lot of lip service in that regard, but it really, it really does occur in your group. And I think that's a unique thing that you can't really fake or put on a brochure, you know? Yeah. Uh, Blows us away. It's one of our like happiest moments as we see in the private Facebook group or, or in these WhatsApp groups that we have where people say, I'm going to come into this city and I care about X cause. Who should I meet with? And you'll end up with 12 or 15 recommendations just from the community right there. And yeah. um, when we say, oh, there's going to be a group going to SoCap, like if you want to join the WhatsApp group, put your phone number. Everyone just puts their phone number. And I still right. am bewildered that they put their phone number right there. But there's so much trust in the right. community and the community has a code of conduct. And if anyone acts outside of it, it gets reported probably, I mean, I get reports every week. Um, this person solicited me or this person, um, you know, used my name without my consent and said that we overrepresented our relationship or whatever it is. So these, these kind of tiny infractions, I do enjoy that people report them because it means they care enough about the, the community and the sacred trust within members that they're not being tattletales. They're saying, hey, this person should get a warning because they're great, but this was a little bit beyond the scope of, you know, what's okay. And so the community monitors itself and has become its own shepherd in a really beautiful way. Right. So I wonder, like, it sounds like you've extended this kind of uh, trusting and open culture in a way that's really effective. And I know, like, I can get on, like, a podcast and sound all poised and interesting and, and, you know, have my life together, but I wonder you know, if you're sort of one of the people embodying and modeling this behavior for a 6,000 person community of people that, you know, really have a lot going on in their lives, how do you, I mean, what do you do on a day when you don't feel well or you're skeptical or like, how do you maintain the kind of balance that's needed for, for that kind of leadership? I mean, I'm constantly inspired and I don't know if I came uh, into the earth constantly inspired or if it was Nexus and maybe constantly inspired, but every day I hear a story of someone who is trying to make change in their community. 
And so the biggest, you know, antidote to the news is young people making change. And whether they succeed or not, I'm inspired by the young girl I talked to this week who's in high school fighting for LGBT rights and that I can connect her with founders of the Women's March who I know. You know, I'm inspired by a young singer that I met with this week who is trying, who's disabled and is trying to, you know, break the norms of what singers can look like and, and, and how you can hide behind audio to to really feel normal and be seen as normal. Um, I'm inspired by our members who are donating planes and helicopters and yachts to get supplies out of the Bahamas um, just because someone made a post in our group and said, hey, my island's two-thirds underwater. I need help. I leave room every day to talk to Nexus members. Um, at least one hour a day, I'll, I'll get a call with, you know, scheduled and I say, what's, what's new? Tell me your dream. This morning, I had brunch with the Nexus member who was in town from DC and said, I just came back from Oxford and here's what I want to do with my life. And I want to commit to social change and who can you connect me to? And I had, she said, well, after, you know, a whole page of notes, she said, well, you have more ideas than I thought you'd have. And it's like, I have 6,000 people in here. Um, <laughs> there's a lot, there's a lot going on. Um, so I think that dose of daily inspiration and reminding ourselves why we do this, like it's to accelerate each other's dreams. And we're in, we're in that work. We're not just working on that space. Um, I think when people in nonprofits get too removed and they work at the administrative level or the executive level or their fundraising level or in the fancy HQ building instead of in the field, you can lose sense of your purpose and why you're doing it. But I'm here to connect people to make their dreams come true faster. And that's the best business to be in. So <laughs> I wouldn't want to do anything else with my time. For sure. It sounds like, I mean, it's like my, my friend the other day about becoming like, if you became a Reiki healer, like your whole life starts to become around spirituality, healing, having conversations you wouldn't otherwise have. And it sort of becomes this self-reinforcing cycle. Like I work in, in tech and finance and it seems like that's all that exists and that's all that people know. And it sounds like similarly you're having experience where you're around people that are inspired and aspiring and, and really focused on something greater than themselves. And it seems like it kind of feeds itself and feeds you along the way. Definitely. And I would say that, um, you know, it's, it's really true that, that, once you, you're doing what you're meant to be doing, you don't see the difference between work and fun and play and, you know, family time. It's all, I consider Nexus members all my friends and I want to get to know them better. Every single one, you know, it's like everyone's a flower that you can pick up and smell. And I mean, so it's, uh, I guess people sometimes say, you're at the office so late. And I'm like, am I at the office? I didn't realize. Like I'm on the couch here hanging out with a friend of mine who I just, you know, got to know from the Global Summit. And yeah, yeah. sure. It's oh great I gotta go home like it's all bleeds yeah. together in this beautiful way of just feeling lucky that we get to bear witness to people who want to share their stories and make the world better in a time and not everyone does so it kind of segues nicely into you know another thing I'm sort of wondering about is you know you're dealing with people of significant wealth and, and influence in in some regards and at the same time you're talking about being inspired and spirituality and these higher kind of callings and those two things aren't in my experience, you know, necessarily aligned all the time. And so I wonder how you interface across those two worlds and like how you think about the reason to have money, what can be done with money and how you keep that in something that's sustentative rather than uh, depletive. That's interesting. So um, I'll answer it in two parts, I guess. Um, number one, kind of the intersection between the spirituality and the understanding of money and influence. It's interesting. We sometimes get uh, sideways glances when I say that at a lot of Nexus summits, we have Shabbat dinners, um, but we do. And yeah. they're Jewish Shabbat dinners. It's just Friday. So you got to, you know, you, there's going to be some people saying some blessings, 
Um, so we invite everyone to say blessings. And we have two, 300 people who are saying Jewish blessings, Christian blessings, Hindu blessings, you know, indigenous blessings, Buddhist blessings, Jain blessings. We had an atheist blessing last year. Um, and people just want to feel that they're connected. Wow. Something and they want to feel blessed, they want to feel lucky, they want to count the stars that you know that they're in a community of people that it's doing good and that they know will help them do good. And so, I think that in that way, there is a lot of connectivity between the spiritual world and the sense of finding a larger purpose and connection to a universe outside yourself and the community we're building because we're trying to help people uh, free themselves in the confines of their own belief systems around money, around family, around wealth, around spirituality, and recognize that we're more similar than we are different. Um, and to seek the commonality in each other is really how we're going to move ahead. When we're looking to differentiate all the time, that's, that's when we get stuck. And then I, I guess what I'd say about money is I see it as the least valuable currency to people under the age of 40. I think the most valuable currency is influence. And that can be that we map out when you apply for Nexus, who is the most influential person who would take your phone call in your hour of need. And then when there's a crisis and we have someone who's a refugee stuck in Yemen, or when we have crisis in the Bahamas or down in Quito, when our summit was, you know, happening during the national state of emergency with tanks and tear gas in the streets, we know who to talk to in our community who has someone who would take their call. It's the head of a new hotel chain, or it's the minister of finance, or it's the CEO of an airline that can help get us out. Or, you know, so your influence, I think at this age is more powerful than your money, at least has the uh, ability to be more powerful than your money, especially because most people under the age of 40 aren't really decision makers in major ways over their family's money. Um, and are being, you know, really, I think, um, strategic about how to invest their own money because they haven't quote, made it all yet. Um, but your influence, it never, it never runs out. You're always meeting new people who trust you and who are excited about what you're doing. And um, the circles that you run in will always can get bigger and wider as you get older. So your influence continues to grow. And the more you use it, the stronger it gets. The more people feel mm -hmm. like you called upon them, and then you were able to do something amazing with how they helped you, the more they want to help you in the future. So it's, I mean, people talk about millennials have currencies of their purchasing power, of their vote, of, you know, every decision they make with their financial decisions and, and whatnot. But, but I think your influence capital and your Rolodex, which is a word no one uses anymore, but um, that's, that's where the biggest change can happen. And I certainly can make a bigger difference in the world with my influence than I ever could with any amount of money. I wonder in that regard, like, you know, I have like social media accounts, Twitter, I have this podcast. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's like, it feels like you could be formulaic in creating a persona or, you know, and that, you know, it has results. Like I, this is my tone, my brand, whatever. It makes me kind of grossed out just to think about it, but that's, you know, what's efficacious in a world that has a lot of noise and, and competition in it. And so I wonder just how you maintain like authenticity in a world that maybe requires some strategy at the same time. I think just leading with kindness always and, and being able to say we have no agenda. Um, yeah. I think that Nexus is committed to never soliciting our members and never asking them for money, ever. And we never have. Um, and I try very hard to not have our members know what it is I care about. They find out here or there. Um, but, <laughs> you know, there's 10 working groups and nobody should know or think that one is my favorite or one is my pet cause, right? Um, and similarly... I, with our city ambassadors. No one should know which cause they care about the most. On, on 1010, we had 15 salons for World Mental Health Day all over the world. Um, and 
no one should think that the people who decided to host those salons care about mental health more than other cities, right? Or that they're personally affected. We try to, I try to be as agnostic as possible just so that people know I seek no agenda from you. I'm never going to ask you for money and I'm never going to ask you to support what I care about. I'm only here to make the difference that you want to make in the world and help you make it faster. And I think that that living that truth means that maybe there are some things that I care about cause related that I'm not working on as much, but I believe that it'll all come around. Um, so I think you just have to model it and lead with kindness. There's some people who've sued Nexus, <laughs> to be honest, um, which is really funny because they didn't get in, which makes you feel like, oh, we must have something really special if people are suing because <laughs> they didn't get in. Um, yeah. it's very strange. I mean, I guess Harvard must get sued all the time. That's all I can think. Um, but, but what it makes me realize is that, you know, not every day is, is rainbows and unicorns. But if you lead with kindness and you choose that, um, then people will meet you with kindness more often than you expect. Understood. Yeah, like from you speaking, it sounds like you really have, you know, faith or belief in, you know, something greater than yourself. I wonder, is that just something that, uh, I mean, we connect, talked to it a bit earlier, but like, were you just born that way? Or was that through experiences, through your family? Like, how do you have such a powerful, like, so somebody screws me over, I'm like, oh, like, forget the world. This is like enough. I'm gonna go I'm going to bed. Uh, how do you how do you maintain that kind of level of faith when you you know are things don't always work out when you're getting sued? Yeah, yeah, we are. I mean, the lawsuit that lawsuit was just dropped, thankfully. But um, I believe in the power of people. Um, I believe that people are inherently good. That they want to help each other, and that they're just waiting for someone to ask them. Um, and we saw that with the Bahamas, you know, this was in August and Hurricane Dorian dropped water for two or three days, two hurricanes at the same time. Grand Bahaman Island got wiped out. Two thirds of it was underwater. Um, no airport, no, uh, the port, all the deep water cruise ships couldn't land or anything. And members just wrote, Hey, I live in Grand Bahama and my prime minister isn't allowing people, you know, to come or offer aid and it's a no fly zone and we need help. And, I called a, a college ex-boyfriend uh, who lived in Florida. I, I mean, I called the most random people I hadn't talked to in years, and they all said, how can I help? What do you need? Um, people who I'd have no reason to talk to, but I said, oh, you're in Florida. So I, I do you know anyone who has a private plane or a yacht or a small boat, and would they be interested in helping? And they said, yes, what do we need on it? I said, well, the number one need is water, and the number two is medical supplies. And I was like, oh, let me call some hospitals. Or I have a friend who I think they're, they're, there's a wing named after so-and-so's you know, relative at their hospital. So people just surprise you when you ask them for help. It's as though everyone is sitting around waiting to be of service and to be relevant. And and when you realize that, the world is just full of people who want to help, you know, make the world better. They just don't know how. And they, mm. they aren't going to come up with it on their own, on you know, by themselves. Um, but if you can come to them and say, I need two pillows because that will help this woman have a safe labor who's in, you know, giving birth in this taxi next door, you'd throw your pillows in the car. Like who wouldn't? Yeah, so it's sure. just being open to seeing yeah. that. Um, as to the question about how I was raised, I was raised um, in a very Christian family. Um, and then when I was uh, 21, I went on the first birthright Israel trip and I learned about the Jewish traditions and tikkun olam and healing the world. And, and so I came from seven generations of United Church of Christ ministers. And then I came back from birthright and decided to be Jewish. Um, and so I have really this beautiful mix <laughs> of tradition and heritage. And, and I believe that if the worst thing that happens is that people from two faiths come together and God forbid, you know, 
get married and have a family, then that's the worst thing. Then that, that, that ends up with me. So yeah. <laughs> I can't be that bad. Um, if, if you can talk across, you know, or even have, have love and understanding across different religious lines. Um, yeah. and, and I learned about philanthropy through that trip because birthright was a free trip. And I thought, how is this free? Um, then I realized it wasn't free actually. <laughs> right. I, they decided they should, they should dedicate their money to sending people who didn't identify with the Jewish people on a trip for 10 days and hoping that they might in return want to stay connected to their heritage in some way. And I thought, Oh my God, how much was it? And then I asked and they said it was $3,000. And I remember hearing like someone gave $3,000 on the off chance that I might connect with a piece of my heritage. That's crazy. I better connect with a piece of my heritage. Like I felt so much uh, like a, a, a torchbearer for their donation. So filled with gratitude that I wanted to make every day a gift. And I realized that philanthropy can be a gift like that. Yeah, that makes sense. You reminded me when you're talking about calling your ex-boyfriend, I, I was running a company before trying to set up rural telecom networks and I made this like really bad video to do a crowdfunding campaign. And so then I went like, I was at this restaurant right by um, where I was living at the time and Charles Barkley was at the bar with like a, like 10 people around him, like telling stories. And I was like, I went up and like interrupted him in front of all these people. I was like so nervous, like Charles, like, will you like tweet this like thing for me? And he looked at me, he's like, I don't tweet. <laughs> but like, I was willing to do something like, be, even though it's embarrassing and kind of something I, I would never do because it was about like helping people, you know, be able to connect to medical services and, and, when I, I found like, when I'm at my best, when I can move beyond just like, how does this serve me? And actually, how can I serve others? It's amazing what I'm, I or whatever is not me, maybe whatever is outside of my ego is, is willing and able to do. And then, you know, you look back and realize like, oh, like that's an insane thing to do. But I, you know, it's a good story. Oh, and, uh, so good. And it shows you exactly that everyone has superpowers, but we're not um, really motivated to use them for ourselves ever. Um, like they say that, you know, uh, um, that that there's this like super mommy strength that if a, a, a baby <laughs> gets crushed by a car, the mom can lift the car, you know, all sorts of these things. But um, but if you put that same mom under the car and she's getting crushed, she wouldn't be able to lift it. So we can do much more for others than we are ever motivated to do when it's just for ourselves. Um, and I've seen people do that with celebrities before too. Usually check if they're on Twitter first. <laughs> That's good. Um, but but yeah, I've seen people go up and say, you know, I have this cause. Would you would you shout out about it and you know, I think that celebrities lending their stature is another way that they can pay back and pay forward um, some of the great blessings that they have and that doesn't take dollars and cents. Usually just raising awareness about, you know, girls who've been kidnapped or an issue that's happening at the border can make a huge difference in a way that just donating money to a fund where you don't really know what's happening on the ground. Celebrities can use their stature and I think they're, that influence capital is more, potentially more, um, possibility to make an impact than just if they made a donation and you know and said okay um you know check the box move on right and probably a lot more meaningful at the end of the day as well i think so i think that you know when you sign your name to something and say that you stand for it it's it changes the way you think about the way you carry yourself we we're really privileged to work with uh, vice president biden to launch its ms campaign to stop sexual assault on campus at Nexus, and um, we have a pledge, you know, pledge not to be a bystander. And originally I thought, you know, is that all we're going to do? We're going to ask people to pledge not to be a bystander? What does a pledge mean? You know, what if they, I said the Pledge of Allegiance every day in school and forgot it by, you know, five minutes later. But um, two years into the campaign, when we'd had 
hundreds of thousands of pledges, people started writing us and saying, you know, I, I broke up a rape tonight. I remembered in my freshman year, I signed a pledge not to be a bystander and I saw this thing happening and I just leapt into action. I can't even believe I did it. And this guy was, you know, a huge dude and I'm a little dude and I did it anyway. And we started getting these stories and now we, we give out awards every year called the Biden Courage Awards to three regular everyday people who remember they'd taken the pledge and then months or years later stood up and stopped rape. And, um, and so it really is powerful when you align your name to something because it, yeah. it, it gets embrazened into some part of your consciousness that you're a warrior for that, that you yeah. are going to be, you know, a custodian of that cause. Yeah. And like, you know, I've observed in both from people that I look up to and uh, spiritually and like different forms that I always, because I also just read this novel called the 10,000 doors of January, which is about a girl who can write into the world what she wants through just writing it. And that like people that have integrity with their word tend to be, very wise or like, you know, that seems to be a grounding thing that gets a lot done from there. And so, you know, putting a pledge or something, it really can bind you to something and really creates something out of nothing in a way that uh, is sort of magical. Um, that's right. Everyone wants <laughs> to be asked to stand for something. No one wants to be irrelevant and have to be understood and be seen yeah. and be of service. So I think, okay. So shifting a little bit like yeah. more so practically, um, there's a lot of organizations that are trying to do something in the realm of what you're trying to do, trying to run a nonprofit, inspire people, bring people together around big causes. And I wonder, like, why, why is it that you guys have succeeded? Uh, and what's been different or differentiated, to use a practical kind of business term, like, why, why you? Uh, it's a good question. Um, I think uh partly because we started so organically and so scrappy people were very forgiving um if we're not at fancy ballrooms or you know uh we don't have the most uh i don't know the the most impressive speakers that names that are recognizable people understand well they're scrappy and they're young and they're starting out but then whenever we look at our surveys the things that people most comment about being uh, positive experiences are never the big name speakers. They already know what that guy was going to say. It's always this little person who you met who was a kid who said, oh my God, if that kid's doing that, what have I done with my life? Like, It's always the untold stories that we found that that stri strike people and sit with them and, and inspire them more than than the big names. So I think that, the, that some of people who would consider themselves, you know, competitors in the space of galvanizing the next generation around impact, they focus a lot on kind of spectacular events um, that are a feast for the senses and they're very expensive experiences with top name speakers and you already know what they're going to say before you get there, but you want the selfie with them and then you're done. And we focus on the quality of the humans that are coming together and by living our values. So for instance, we have fully vegan summits and some people hate that and carry around meat backpacks where they have jerky <laughs> that they eat out of it just to prove it. And I'm like, that's fine. I'm not asking you to not eat meat. But years ago, we you know made a commitment in line with our animal welfare working group and our energy innovation environment working group that we would be vegan at our summits. And that's asking you for two days to eat really nutritious meals. But trust me, the hard work is on us to find meals that you think are delicious. Right. Um, that's the, un, under our budget, right? So like as hard as everyone thinks it is just eating, you know, amazing vegan food, it's, it's even harder to find it. We were pushed, you know, towards living our values more and more. Um, we had someone come to us who said they didn't feel safe using bathrooms at our summits once years ago because there wasn't a gender neutral bathroom. So now everywhere we go, we demand there's a gender neutral bathroom and it 
rules out a lot of um, venues in Washington, D.C. and other places. And we said, I'm sorry, we're not going to compromise on these points. Um, so really embodying who we are. People know we are what we say. When we say we'll never ask you for money, we never do. Um, and I also think, I think that we're successful because we're growing organically and we, we don't, we're not salesy. We don't, we don't, you know, advertise anywhere. Um, you have to apply to join and, and we sell out every time. So there's no high pressure situation. There's no sales pitch. There's, it's never like that. In fact, there's some people who apply and I read their application and the top question in the application is how have you advanced the people and projects within the Nexus community over the last year? And if you don't have a really good answer to that, it's probably not the year for you to come back. And so I get on the phone with people sometimes and I say, you know, God love you and, and all the work you're doing, you know, it's wonderful. But I think maybe this year you've been getting married or had a baby or, or making partner or finishing your MBA, but it looks like you didn't have a lot of time to actually, you know, connect and accelerate other people's dreams in any way or projects or passions or, you know, make any connections for people. So our theory of change isn't just the people with money and access and people with great ideas. It's that you have to have the spirit to help each other too and dedicate some time towards that. And so oftentimes people go, yeah, I was so busy graduating. Like, you're right. I'm going to take this summer off. I don't have anything. I don't have anything planned that I know I'm going to be able to work on yet. So I won't come to the summit. And they're like, I can't believe you just called me, dissuade me. And I'm like, I didn't, I didn't. I just, we have a limited number of spots and I want them all to be for people who are willing to commit the time to help each other. And um, more often than not, when I call someone, what they say is, wait, but I have a month, right? Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to get on this. Like just check back with me in one week. Right. Yeah, yeah. They know we're serious about it. Right. So there's some real accountability. Yeah. Um, is that, I mean, I'm wondering as you get, you know, grow in size, uh, how do you maintain that kind of personal accountability? And also, you know, just kind of the, how do you not get like a, it's like, you know, Bank of America, whatever has like a bazillion employees. And I'm sure the first 10 were very, very smart. And then it starts to get diffuse as you grow and just by the nature of averages, I think. And so I just, I wonder how about, how you think about maintaining the kind of beautiful culture that you have as you continue to, to succeed? It's, it's a really good question. I mean, I think that as we have started to see some of our city ambassadors change and get co-ambassadors and then retire as they get families or move out of certain cities, we see that those local communities, they really work together to select who they think should be the next representative, like democratically electing them almost um, in really beautiful ways. And similarly, when working groups you know, are ready to transition leadership, they figure out who do we think should best represent us. And so I think that the truth is our membership and our vision is becoming more and more crystallized and um, we're becoming more and more effectual um, as we go, because mm -hmm. now there, there are so many less spots at every summit for new people. You have to be much higher caliber to, to get in because I won't, you know, kick out 500 people who, who plan every year to come back. So the newer people, as we grow into new regions, the, the, the bar is set higher of what are you willing to, um, offer the community? What have you accomplished so far? Um, and then, we get new and inspired leaders and that brings new and inspired ideas. So that's always happening in, in really exciting ways. Makes sense. So kind of in the theme, I know for me, like a lot of what inspires me and guides me in my values is based upon ways I've really screwed up in the past. And so I wonder, you know, just be curious to hear about, you know, a mistake or, you know, a hard thing that you've screwed up and, you know, how that's guided you uh, following that. So I think that um, the biggest mistake I've probably made is in trying to do everything myself. Mm. So um, knowing that you're not a genius at everything is really important. <laughs> and um, I think 
a lot of us rely on the fact that I'm not a genius, but if I needed to, I could learn how to code or I could learn Salesforce or I could learn, you know, and that's true. Um, we all can, but it's the slower way of doing things. So I think that over the last year and a half since I took on the CEO title, um, I tried to learn a lot more about our tech than I ever knew before. And I tried to learn about how to do the website and how to do Salesforce and how to do form assembly and how to do so many pieces of so many things. And, um, and should we use, you know, this newsletter service or that one? And, and when, what days do we, uh, you know, send out newsletters for different open rates and all sorts of things. And diving into all of that, I, I lost probably two or three months of time trying to become an expert in things when I probably should have instead stopped and thought, who are the best consultants and, and paid them to do what they do well and focused on what I enjoy doing best. Um, but there was a sense of stubborn pride that Nexus has always been a team that knew how to do things and figured things out ourselves. Um, and then we ended up hiring the best consultant in the business and they didn't get a lot done for a month and, <laughs> and it was like worse. Um, and I thought, wait, I finally resigned to the fact that we want to, you know, spend our money and have the consultant and then the consultant can't do a very good job either, unless you're actually there holding their hand every step of the way. And if you don't speak the same language, it, um, meaning I don't speak like code. Um, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even understand. It's so embarrassing that they'd built out this entire new system for us, but it was all built in the sandbox and I mm -hmm. didn't understand what that meant. And so after, you know, many, many thousands of dollars, I was like, are we ready to launch? And they're like, what do you mean? Did you prove this for us to now build for you? And I was like, wait, you didn't build it yet? You just designed <laughs> it? Like we can't launch this next week? Right. Um, so there's been a lot of learning moments. So I think letting go of ego and realizing that um, you don't want to micromanage every piece of the process um, and hiring people who have expertise in specific roles. Instead yeah. of, I think early on, we hoped that everyone could grow into their role and learn their skill sets. But now I think hiring people who already are exceptional at those roles, are that's a big learning. Gotcha. So, okay, in that regard, yes, we can't be a genius at everything. And I know we're all supposed to be humble and, and, and very, you know, have a lot of humility. But I wonder, what, what is it that you think you do so well or that really is your kind of superpower? It's a good question. I think seeing the best and seeing the potential in everybody. Um, everyone I meet, I'm looking for what is their, you know, best use of their skills and talents and who can I connect them to where they could make, you know, just explosions in the sky. Um, yeah. And so a lot of people meet tons of people, get a stack of business cards, and then start thinking, how can these people help me? I don't have any, how can these people help me? I only no. have, how can I help them? So I'm always looking at people to see what is you know, their greatest possible potential. And sometimes, yeah. I, don't think, I don't think this is the industry you should be working in. And I'll say that to people. You know, I think that I'm hearing you be so much more passionate about something else. And you're saying you do it on the side, but it sounds like the side is 30 to 40 hours a week. So you know, when are you going to make that full transition into what you actually care about and be more aligned? And there it go, oh, you know, how yeah. dare you say that? But um, so I think that that's what I'm able to do is be honest with people about what I see as their potential and, yeah. and ask them what's stopping them from chasing it. Life is short. Yeah. It's so like, it's such fun conversations to have about like, what do you wish you could be? What do you want to be? What, what motivates you? It's so much better than like, oh, like, can we reschedule the meeting? Cause my boss wants to see me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's not, that's not the best. But it kind of strikes me. You're like the, like, like queen of karma. Like you're just putting nice things out there and it seems like they, they get back to you one way or another. Um, and, and I, I, people I, that I know, I mean, like, I think that 
I'm most pleased in life when, when I see someone else enjoying, you know, the, the fruits of their labor. And so, you know, I, I'm, I might lead with kindness, but, but I connect to people and I never follow up and say, did you, did you meet, did you do something together? Did you invest in so-and-so's thing? Or did you take that trip together? When people yeah. choose to come back and say, oh my God, you won't believe what we were able to do. Um, right. That's always a delicious surprise because there's right. no, there's no uh, accountability out there for the 500 people, you know, you might introduce in a quarter. Um, right. When they're motivated enough to be so excited, you know, sometimes they fall in love. A lot of Nexus members have gotten married to each other. That's always fun. Nice. Uh, but, but just watching people reconnecting to their purpose and being inspired by one another. I mean, I don't know what else I'd want to do all day. That's beautiful. So, okay. Uh, I've got two more questions left for you. Okay. First I'm wondering is, so Nexus has been around since 2011, 6,000 members now. It sounds like you guys are humming along, uh, continuing to grow, but where do you, you know, kind of, where do you want to see this movement go from here and uh, how are you going to get there? Great question. So we've been really activating more and more around brain trusts lately, which we started with, um, we started with the White House under the Obama administration. And that's how we launched things like It's On Us, um, Better Make Room to get um, first generation college students uh, in America um, and their families. We launched campaigns like um, Drink Up to get people to drink for water, lots of things. Now we do brain trust with the UN and we're helping them figure out how to launch an innovation center uh, next year for the first time. We're helping them figure out how to celebrate the UN at 75 and create a pavilion at Expo 2020. Um, we're helping them around small island resiliency and creating a blueprint because the Indonesian islands don't talk to the Caribbean islands, don't talk to the, et cetera. They're all trying to figure it out themselves. Um, mm. And so I think that our future is more around these brain trusts. We did brain trusts with the mayor of Rotterdam last year. Um, and one of the ideas we came up with in, in this school district where he had everyone dropping out of school um, because there were no jobs in the port because it, Rotterdam is a port city and the port isn't really used anymore. Um, we came up with the idea of giving a golden ticket. So if you give a golden ticket to kids who are showing potential in ninth grade, that they'll get a job when they graduate with that golden ticket that pays double minimum wage, then they're more like to stay in school is what we came up with. So now 18 months later, we're going back to Rotterdam and the mayor's putting us on a tour bus and taking us to visit the, the sites of the programs that we conceived of because he put wow. them into action. Um, yeah. And so it's really exciting when these brain trusts turn into something real. And we do work oftentimes with heads of state. We've, we've worked with the past prime minister in the Netherlands and you know the first lady in Australia and the prime minister in Lebanon and all these different places. And when they listen to us as a next generation and take your ideas and then put money and power and teams behind them to build them and grow them as campaigns like it's on us or as these new really kind of tactical things like the golden ticket for a job um that's where i see nexus making an impact in the short term the longer term is much easier to imagine you know in 40 years the head of such and such company will call the head of such and such foundation and they'll say we've hung out every summer for the last 40 years let's work <laughs> right. together on solving this you know new water crisis um like the head of state will talk to uh, whichever country will talk to the head of state of another country and say, hey, remember, we're both in Nexus. Let's, let's work on this together and, let's, and solve this problem with the refugees or whatever it might be. But the short term, I think the brain trusts are going to be really effective because we're seeing so many countries and the UN really wanting that and seeing that there's fresh and innovative ideas and a new generation willing to put time into helping them evolve. And I think that you know, working groups and labs are exciting too, but that's more peer-to-peer -peer sharing without a, a, a an express deadline of where you have to deliver something amazing. And I, I like the kind of pressure cooker style of the brain trust right now that you have until such and such date to just 
you know, distill what this program is going to be and put it into action. Gotcha. And so say if I'm listening to this and I just hear you and think you're so wonderful and I want to give you $5 million or I want to figure out how to get involved because my father is the prime minister of some country or, or just a regular humble person who's motivated. How, what's the best way to get started and get involved with, with Nexus Global? Oh, it's a good question. Um, local level is always the best. So if you're in Asia or in Saudi Arabia or in Latin America, or Europe or India or New Zealand or anywhere, um, we have salons happening every other week in most countries. Um, and that's where you can, you know, it's really intimidating to show up at the United Nations and say, hi, my name is so-and-so. But it's a lot less intimidating to show up at a salon or to reach out to a local representative and say, I'd love to talk about, um, you know, my interests. I think I could add a lot to this community. Um, that's a call all of our city ambassadors or working with leaders want to take, oh, you want to, you think you can add value. Let's have a meeting. Like what a great thing. Every, you know, introduction came with, I think you can add value to the, the cause that I care about or the community that I'm building. Um, so I think plug in at the local level and reach out. But also if you don't have someone in your local level, then, then fill out an application. I read every single application. So um, it's my favorite thing. People are like, I can't believe you read every application. That's thousands of applications a year. And I'm like, yes. Yeah. So when I go to bed every night, I hear, you know, I'm reading people's projects of how they want, how they're changing the world, how they're changing their communities. Like other people watch the news and get depressed. And I go to bed reading applications thinking there's all these young people who want to change the world and how they want to be connected to each other. Like, um, it's a great, it's a great dose of, um, dopamine. <laughs> yeah. It's beautiful. So any other kind of wisdom questions, thoughts that you can kind of leave us with here? Um, I guess the most important thing is, I guess the most important thing I was ever told was that, um, we all come into this world with with unique potential and unique skills and passions. And you don't want to be the person who on your deathbed is surrounded by the ghosts of your unfulfilled potential, looking down and you're saying you alone, you know, you were there placed on earth with this potential and you didn't dedicate the time. And so that will never be realized in, in this universe because you had that key and you, you know, turned aside from it and cho chose to chase something else um, and not to express those gifts that were given to you. So I think that, I think, you know, don't be haunted by the ghosts of your unfulfilled potential. Just hmm. try to drive more and more into seeing what is your unique skills and talents and how can you lend them towards creating something larger than yourself and you'll never feel alone. And I think, you know, we have a new ambassador, you know, a minister of loneliness in the UK. Like loneliness is on the rise as people use yeah. social media of developing friendships. And I think if you're out there trying to give your unique goals and value to the world, you won't be lonely. <laughs> There's always someone yeah. who would love to use them. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I'm so glad that you're out there doing the work you do and catalyzing inspiration and turning it into real things in this world. Um, and it's a pleasure to talk with you. You too. Have a great Saturday. Well, it was such a pleasure to speak with Rachel. I think I tend to come to the things from a very analytical perspective and Rachel brings such a human and kind of uh, feeling-based approach to building an organization that's really instructive to me, just trusting in doing the right thing and trusting in people uh, and our kind of shared desire to do something that's better than just ourselves. And uh, in practical terms, I think it's manifested really positive results. You know, just struck by, you know, I think Rachel has a lot of humility, but is you know coordinating with politicians around the world celebrities come to the nexus global annual summit uh, and in between all year long uh it's really surrounded by some really amazing and influential people and uh it's amazing to me how grounded and kind of guided she can remain amidst that in a way that uh to me feels very authentic um so it was a pleasure to speak with rachel and i hope you enjoyed it as well thanks <laughs> <laughs>